My name is Tracy Carpenter and I'm a member with Restored Church. If you're new, welcome. We are glad that you tuned in. We believe that the church is a family and not just an event, and so we would love to connect with you. Uh, there are a few ways that you can do that. The first being um, through our website, which is www.restoredtemecula.church, um, and then click on contact. We also have a mobile app that you can get in the Apple or the Android app stores, and through that app you can see past um, messages, upcoming events, and other ways for us to connect. Um, so with all that said, we hope you enjoy the message. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to get started here in just a second. So if you would, go ahead and grab a seat. Um, before Herrick comes up here to preach, uh, I just want to like acknowledge something really quickly. Um, and I think it, it has a lot of, um, I don't know, I think it's appropriate for this morning, especially given what Herrick's going to preach on. We just wrapped up our series going through the Gospel of John, and we're starting a new series next week. And in the, in the kind of like interim period, which is this Sunday, uh, we want to be a people who are constantly pressing and like, God, what are you up to? What are you doing? Uh, we want to follow you. And this last, man, the, the last several, several weeks have been really, really challenging for our church family. There's been some really, really awful, painful struggles, um, some really awful, painful circumstances. And hear me, guys, we just can't ever be a, a community that's dishonest and just like, oh, everything's cool. Like the gospel is amazing. Jesus is kind and gracious always. God is always good, even when circumstances are terrible. And to not acknowledge really painful, really challenging circumstances for many, I would argue for many in our community right now, would be dishonest. It would be fake. That word authentic, authentic gets thrown around a lot. Um, and for, for better, for worse, like it would be inauthentic. And I want us to be a people who are I don't know, serious about getting rid of pride because the reason why we would pretend like everything's cool when it's not is pride. And God opposes the proud man, but he exalts the humble. Those who are like, there's, a, there's an honest response to who God is, to what he's done. Even if that response is, I'm really hurting, I'm disoriented, I'm disoriented, I'm, I'm struggling, I don't know what to do, but even pressing into him in that regard is such a beautiful act of trust and a beautiful act of faith. And I know that there are many of us who are finding ourselves in that space. And so I share all that with you, one, because I want us to be a, a, a family, I want us to be connected, and two, I really believe, one, Herrick Berger hears from the Lord, the dude Juz, if you guys that know him, you, you've been on the receiving end of that. And I'm really confident that there's a deposit of hope that the Spirit of God wants to do in all of us through Herrick's message. And so I want to prep that time. I typically don't, don't intro Herrick. He's a pastor. <laughs> like he doesn't need an introduction. You guys know him and love him. Um, but we both thought like it might be, it would be appropriate to do it this morning based on so much that's happening in the life of many in our community. Okay. So all that being said, I want to welcome Herrick up and I want to ask you guys, I just want to pray really quickly. He's going to pray, I'm sure, through his message, but I just want to pray for us that 
our circumstances, better, like good or bad, that it wouldn't inhibit us from genuinely receiving from God's spirit um, through Herrick and many other ways this morning. You guys cool with that? I just don't want to let the moment pass pastorally. I think it's important. All right. Uh, Spirit, we invite you. We invite you. We, we recognize and we acknowledge like we really are hungry and thirsty people. And it's where we turn to to satisfy that hunger and that thirst, man, that has such an impact on our life. And so all of us corporately, as your children, as your family, we, we tune our hearts to you. We, 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 we turn our heart to you as the source that we need and that we desire. That, that your love really does, it transcends the highest of highs and the lowest of lows And we want to encounter and feel that love, God. So would you help us, Holy Spirit? That's what you're about. That's what you're all about. We love you. We thank you. And we anxiously anticipate you ministering to our hearts right now. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Okay. Can you guys hear me okay? Yeah, great. And here we go. Um, So yeah, like Tom mentioned been a lot of heaviness in our community so over the last few weeks, the last year and a half. Um, and so today I get this gap message in between the Jesus Is series where we went through the Gospel of John over the course of, you know, dozens of weeks. And I was thinking about it and it's sort of like Jesus is amazing. It's sort of like my big takeaway from, this, from all of that time together. And then next week we're going to be starting this Be Ready series um, and then today, I had the opportunity to just pray and just be like, God, what do you want to say? Like, what's on, there's so, like, scripture's always relevant. It's always beautiful. It's always, it always transforms us as, as we behold Jesus through it. But, like, what specific scripture do you want me to focus in on today? And it was like every single time I prayed, it went back to Hebrews. Every single time. And what's interesting about Hebrews is that it's not the one I would have picked because it's really complicated. If you've ever read through the book of Hebrews, the writer of the Hebrews actually just assumes that you know the Old Testament extremely well. Like a first century Jew would know the Old Testament really well, kind of like that. And uh, we don't. If we're honest, it's just not reality. We're not in that culture. We just aren't steeped in the scriptures in the same way that they are. So with one message, I'm not preaching a series on Hebrews, this is not what I would have picked necessarily. Actually, it's almost certainly not what I would have picked. I would have picked something like Lazarus rising from the dead, and we could be like, yeah, we're going to rise too, hurrah, and, uh, and then just like done that, but uh, instead this, the book of Hebrews is more like, you're going to die. Are you ready? <laughs> kind of thing. So all that to say, it's not what I would have picked. However, um, I think it's what God has picked out for us. So I'm going to go ahead and pray real quick. Um, because I want God's help. But really, I've been chewing on the book of Hebrews for the last week, studying it, meditating on it, and I actually am more and more convinced this is exactly what we need to go through today in this hard time that we're going through. Because the book of Hebrews, if it's about anything, it's about how Jesus sustains us in hard times, how Jesus' love is an anchor in the midst of really difficult circumstances. So I'm going to pray. Um, Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. I want to. I want to invite you to speak through me. I want to ask you to speak through me. I want to ask you to help me. I want to 
invite you to speak to each and, each and every one of us. Holy Spirit, you have a way to, of personalizing the word to each heart and each situation, each community, and I pray that you would do that today. I thank you for this beautiful letter to the Hebrews that's intense, but it's also inspiring. And I pray that at the end of this message, at the end of this morning, we would walk out of here lighter. We would walk out of here seeing Jesus more clearly and seeing like how we can love one another through these tough times that we're living through, more specifically, more practically. God, we love you and we thank you. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Okay, if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn over to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. We're going to look at, we're going to start with verses 6 to 9. Before we do, I need to give you guys a little bit of context. We have not been in the book of Hebrews. So who was this written to? This was actually written to Christians who were suffering. This is a letter that was written to Christians who were having extremely, living through hard times in the ancient world. And the hard part about this is that we actually don't know a ton about them. Uh, what I really wish we had in the scriptures was sort of like the author's preface of like, hey, you're going to read this 2,000 years from now. You're actually not going to be in the community that I'm writing to. Here's everything that you need to know. They don't do that, unfortunately. It would really, there'd be a lot less uh, ink spilt on these letters. But the truth is we can actually like learn a lot by just by reading the letter and we can kind of see what was happening. So what do we know about these ancient Christians that the letter to the Hebrews is addressing? Uh, we, we know that they knew their Bibles really well. So these were like a, a there was like, this was like a good Bible church, if you will. They knew the Old Testament. They knew the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, really, really well. Um, they also knew hard times. They knew suffering. They were well acquainted with it. In fact, if you read the book of, of Hebrews, which I did multiple times this week, um, you'll, you would find out that you can read, read it in Hebrews 10 if you want to. These people suffered significantly. Um, the letter mentions specifically a few things that I don't think none of us would ever want to go through. They suffered public taunting, ridicule, on account of their faith in Jesus. Um, it seems to imply that there was afflictions, maybe some sort of physical um, beatings. I don't know exactly. We don't fully know. But it seems like they suffered um, a loss of status in their, in their community, in their world. They suffered a loss of property. It actually says that, that you allowed yourself to be, like you allowed your property to be taken from you on account of Jesus. So they, were, they had stuff stolen. Their reputation was dragged through the mud because of their allegiance to Jesus. So these guys, like, this is real church. These are people who had been through much. But here's the reality of it. The more I've thought about this letter, the more important it is, I think, to acknowledge something that is really important. It's not about how you start in the Christian life. It's about how you finish. It's not about how you start. It's about how you finish. Because these guys started crazy well, like crazy well. Would any of us be okay with like our cars being taken from us or our homes or our money because of Jesus? They were okay with that. It says really clearly, like, you thought beyond the current situation and circumstance that you were facing, and you were looking ahead to what's to come, and you allowed yourself to suffer on account of Jesus. This started really well, but as can often be the case, and as we're experiencing even right now as a community, hard times are coming. And so this church faced hard, these churches 
that are being addressed here faced really hard times. And what the letter is really clear about as you read it is that these were disciples who were growing weary. They were getting tired. They were getting worn down. And if you look at it from the lens of, of Jesus being the great shepherd, these were sheep who were dangerously close to wandering off from him. They were struggling to hear him. What's underneath the surface? I think, among other things, they were losing their sense of awe and wonder because of all the weariness. Jesus is no longer that great. Is where they were starting to drift into, at least some of them. So what was the the writer of the Hebrews sharing with them? Again, I'm doing a long preface because I'm going to cover a lot, and we we haven't been in this book, but we're we're going to dive into it here in a second. I think what the writer of the Hebrews was sharing with them is that Jesus is greater. He's better than anything that you can turn to, including even previous revelation in the Old Testament that they wanted to go to because in their context, their temptation was to turn back to a form of Judaism without Jesus because that would not have, that wouldn't, that wouldn't have invited persecution. That wouldn't have invited loss into their life. But the writer of the Hebrews can't get away from saying, Guys, even the Old Testament itself, everything in there, the symbols, the si- everything was about Jesus. So if you turn away from Jesus, you lose the whole thing. So Hebrews 3, verses 6 to 9. And I want you to keep in mind, I'm just covering this at a, at a high level. Throughout this letter, and we'll get to it later, there is so much encouragement, so much good news. But in order to really like, for the good news to be good, the bad news has to be bad. At least... We have to be clear on what the situation actually is or what's at stake. Hebrews 3, verses 6 to 9 says this, but Christ, and here he's making making a comparison between Christ and Moses. Moses was a servant in God's house. Verse 6, but Christ was faithful as a son over his household. Jesus is over the house. Moses served the house. Jesus was over it. And we are that household if we hold on to our confidence and the hope in which we boast. And you're gonna re- you're, you'll hear that a lot in this letter. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Don't lose your hope. Don't lose your confidence. Verse seven. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your ancestors tested me, tried me, and saw my works. What's happening here? If you don't know the story, the people of God, in, especially in the, the early books of the Bible, they wind up under terrible oppression under Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And he's, can't even get into all of it, but he treats them terribly. And so the people begin to cry out to God and they ask God, save us, rescue us, save us, rescue us. And so what does God do? He hears them. He hears them. And then he redeems them. It's like, I think that's the first time that we see the word redemption in the Bible is right there in that story. He releases the people of Israel by the payment of the blood of a lamb. So if you, if you don't know the story, or maybe you haven't watched the Ten Commandments, this is where actually I heard it for the first time or watched it for the first time with my dad. It's like you see like that, that picture of blood being put on the doorposts over the houses of the people of Israel. And then the angel of death comes Keep in mind, the sin of Egypt was horrendous. They were enslaving people, beating them, treating them mercilessly, and judgment came. 
But God made a way. He provided a path for his people to be saved. And not just his people, anybody who had the blood on the doorpost would be saved. So he made a provision through the sacrifice of a, of a lamb. And so he redeemed them. And eventually Pharaoh was like, get out of here. Go. And so where did they go? They're actually on their way to meet with God. They're on the way, so they were saved radically, miraculously, and they're on their way to meet with God, and then the wilderness happens, and then the testing comes. So it's after they're redeemed that testing comes, and with that testing come questions. So if you don't know the story, they're in the baking hot wilderness, and they're starving, and they're thirsty. And pretty soon, even after God accomplishes this great redemption, he's like, they're like, are you good, God? Are you trustworthy? Here's a quote. In the wilderness, God provides lots of opportunities for his people to trust him. So if you think about that story, if you, if you remember, there's manna. People are hungry, and God gives them literally bread from heaven. It should be pretty amazing to try out sometime. Like, here's bread from heaven itself. And then they're thirsty. Obviously, they're in a desert. They're baking out there. It's so hot out here. And then God gives them water. He makes water come and appear in, the, in this wilderness, in this desert. It says that even though those were opportunities for his people to trust him, they instead blame God and say that he trapped them in the desert to kill them. What's my point? Even for those who've seen God, God's salvation, hard times can harden hearts. If you're taking notes, that's my first point, point number one. Again, the, we need to be sober about what happens in these hard times in order for the good news to be good. So stick with me. Hard times can harden hearts. Hard times can harden hearts. In November of 2020, so last year, we got a text message, my wife did, from the uh, couple that owns the home that we were renting. And they said, we're going to sell. And if you've never been in that position before, um, a lot, lot of fears come out if you're in that situation. They did for us. Heather and I had been married at that point, I think for eight years, give or take. And we'd already moved five times in that short amount of time. So... There's so many questions that come up. Questions like, if someone else's decision can upend our lives, are we stable? Are we able to provide stability and security for our kids? Just deep, deep level fear. Are we doomed to wander from one place to another without a say in it? All of these things came out. Um, it was right before the holidays, so we're like, all right, we're going to put a pause on that. We have till the end of April. It's like, who's, who wants to rent a place, actually list a place during, during the Christmas holidays? It was, so we waited until January, and then we started looking, only to realize that there were very few, if any, options on the market. Uh, I don't know, is anybody else doing like market research during that time? Like early 2020, yep. Ba crickets across the Temecula Valley, nothing. There's just nothing. The competition was insane. The prices were just like skyrocketing, and the market was barren. It was like our own little desert to wander through. Um, pretty quickly we realized, hey, this is not going to be like previous housing searches that we've had. Um, we could go days and days without seeing a single option show up in our valley. So now we have this deadline, April 30th. It's like ticking down, ticking down, 
ticking down every day. When something did show up, we realized pretty quickly, um, one of my least favorite features on Zillow is that you can see how many people have contacted uh, a person for this property. It would be like hundreds of people. It's like, how can we compete with hundreds of people for this one house? This is ridiculous. And then the questions really started coming, like, God, did you bring us all the way out here to Temecula to leave us out on the street? Like, genuinely, that's how bleak and dark it got. Are we going to have to pick between being homeless or moving away? It's like that, and then deeper, deeper, the questions like, God, do you care? As we're suffering, as we're struggling, as we're going through this, this period of instability, do you care? If you care, are you actually capable of providing an option when there are no options? Like, can you, can you make water appear in a desert, essentially, is what I was asking God without realizing it. And then there's even more. It's like, what about all we've sacrificed for you? Are you just? Are you good? All these questions. So this subtle shift happened, and it's only now that I've actually started to realize it. And the book of Hebrews was super helpful in thinking this stuff out and thinking about the story of Israel. There's a subtle shift from gratitude and trust to almost adopting this mindset, this assumption that I have the right to pass judgment on my creator. And as I was thinking about that this week, I thought about like God who so graciously saved me. And I've shared my story here a bunch of times, like you guys, you may know. I'm like I'm the last guy that you would expect to be up here because of my life and decisions and choices to run away from God. He loved me when I was unlovable, provided everything I ever needed. And now God's character is in question in my own heart. And deep down, I thought I deserved better. That's what made the hard times so hard. It wasn't just that it's like, are we going to have a place to live and all these questions that were practical. It's like, God, don't I deserve better? Hard times can harden hearts and make us very forgetful. So I just want to ask a question. And I don't ask this lightly because I know there's a lot of suffering and pain in the room. What about you? Like, what hardship are you experiencing? And what questions does it raise about God in your own hearts? What hardship are you experiencing and what questions does it raise about God in your own hearts? Maybe a relationship problem, maybe some sort of conflict that you're going through, a financial hardship, career, family, losses. Any, anything and everything that affects you is on the table. And I just want you to hold on to that, whatever that is, the hardship that you're experiencing. Because I think that may be the very space that God wants to speak to you from this text today. So what happens to us when our hearts grow weary to the point of hardening? Let's turn over to Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 and 12. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 and 12. We're, we're obviously going from one chapter to another, and I'm just doing one message on Hebrews, but these are strategically chosen because I think they really illustrate this progression. A little bit of context here. The writer of the Hebrews is, is starting to basically go deep on Jesus, on this teaching about Jesus, telling them, like, hey, Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered. It was in the hard times that Jesus himself learned to obey. And he's explaining in more depth about the character and the love of the one that we follow and how that shapes, like, how we respond to hard times. 
And then verse 11, it's almost like he has to pause and be like, acknowledge the, the reality of the situation. This is what happens when our hearts become hard. He says, we have a great deal to say about this, about this meaning about Jesus and his work and how deep it really goes and how relevant and impactful it is to our life. He says, it's difficult to explain since you've become too lazy to understand. And in the NLT, it describes it as spiritually dull and with like a, an inability to hear, to listen. It says, although by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the basic principles of God's revelation again. You need milk, not solid food. So here's my, my second point. And by the way, I, I understand that not everyone is going through the same things in the room. This is more of like, if you're not going through hard times right now, this is for you to remember for the future and to be aware of how your friends and your family and your church members are experiencing suffering potentially today. So here's my second point. Hardened hearts are hard of hearing. Hardened hearts are hard of hearing. And I'm not talking about like hearing like my voice. I'm talking about hearing God's word and his words. So this is a story that I think is so fascinating. I've gone back to it multiple times over the years. And it's in Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 to 9. So this is the people of Israel, which I already talked about. They were under suffering under the Pharaoh. And God is actually telling them, here's what I'm going to do for you. So this is pre-redemption. This is before he actually redeems his people. It says this. This is God speaking to Moses. Therefore, tell the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from the forced labor of the Egyptians and rescue you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and great acts of judgment. I will take you as my people, and I will be your God, and you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from, from the forced labor of the Egyptians, out of slavery, out of bondage. And I will bring you to the land that I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you as a possession. I'm taking you to the promised land. It's bad right now, but I'm taking you somewhere, and it's going to be amazing. I am the Lord. And then this is the part that really gets me. Think about that just for a second. It's God saying, I'm going to deal with the deepest pain and the worst situation that you've ever experienced here in, in Egypt, and I'm going to make it not only better, I'm going to take you somewhere that you can't even imagine how good it is. This is what it says. Moses told this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their broken spirit and hard labor. They couldn't. They couldn't hear it. Sometimes like anxiety, confusion, and fear can drown out the voice of God. So when our housing search really stalled, it became really hard to hear God. There are promises that are specific to really hard situations. Actually, in the book of Hebrews, it talks about how the Lord is our provider and we shall not fear, essentially. I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. I'll take care of you. Those promises didn't land in that time. They just didn't. Even though I wanted them to, I was just so discouraged. There was a, a sense of like hope that was stunted. Uh, houses started to fall through. I mean, it, nothing was working. And so I started to work really, really hard to stand out in our house search. Um, I actually took the approach of someone if I was moving to New York City and trying to find an apartment, a lot of people moving to New York City, not a lot of 
places to actually move to, I took that approach. So I did everything that someone would do in New York City to get a place in Temecula. <laughs> that gives you any indication of what it was like. And you know what it did? It got us podium finishes, two of them. We were runners up twice for places. And they told us, like, why tell us? I don't know. <laughs> but our hopes were dashed. And the deadline for our lease was ending. It was getting closer and closer. And so my anxiety, and I think I could say like our anxieties, just went through the roof. And so this housing crisis actually became a crisis of faith, a wilderness, a test. So I just want to ask the question again, where do you face discouragement today? In the midst of it, like how is your hearing? How's your hearing? How are God's words and promises landing in your heart or not? And do you or, equally importantly, someone you know feel overwhelmed to the point of discouragement? And I know what that's like. I've been there. And some of the Hebrews who this letter was actually written to were there. Some of you are there right now. And even if, if that's not you today, someone you know and love in your GC is probably there today. I promise you there'd be good news. And here it is. Even as the, the Israelites hardened their hearts against God, God did what? He provided water in the wilderness. He quenched their thirst. He satisfied their hunger with manna, bread from heaven. He was faithful even when they weren't. And as you know, since we've gone through Jesus is, who's the real bread from heaven? God's provided bread from heaven for us. So I'm going to just read. I'm going to read Hebrews 10, verses 8 to 25. It's a little bit of a, of, a, of a longer section of scripture, but I think it's so on point. And the writer's making the point, once again, from another angle, that the whole Bible's about Jesus. All of the Old Testament's fulfilled in him. And it actually makes a, a comparison. So in the Old Testament, under the law, there were all these sacrifices for sin. So you had to, sac you had to make sacrifices. Everything was basically covered with sin. Sin was dealt with with blood. And here's what it says. Verse 8. After he says above, you did not desire or delight in sacrifices and offerings, whole burnt offerings and sin offerings, which are offered according to the law, he then says, see, I have come to do your will. So this is Jesus. This is almost like a, a conversation between the Godhead happening, which is kind of cool that we have a, an eternal transcript of what those conversations are like. It says, see, I've come to do your will. He takes away the first to establish the second. By this will, so not by the law, not by the law of Moses, but by this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Once for all cleansing. Pause. Do you know what this means? This means that no matter what you've done, no matter what's been done to you, no matter how stained or how dirty or broken you feel, Jesus has already paid the price for it. All of it. For what you've done or what's been done to you or both. 
Or sometimes it's the sinful ways that we respond to being sinned against. And it says, it continues, every priest stands day after day ministering and offering the same sacrifices time after time, which can never take away sins. But this man, Jesus, after sacrificing, after offering one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. He's now waiting until his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are sanctified. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. Listen to this. This is key. For after he says, verse 16, this is the covenant I will make with them. So not like the first cut, not like the law, a new covenant. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. And I will never again remember their sins and their lawless acts. Now, where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. New hearts. You guys have seen Forrest Gump. Remember how Lieutenant Dan got new legs and Forrest Gump was like, new legs. And he tapped him and stuff and it's like, he could walk again. New hearts that actually work for you and for me. Verse 19 Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, he has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a, high, a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near. Boy, that's a great series name, draw near. I'm sure that no pastor's ever thought of that ever. <laughs> With a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Do we get this? <laughs> this is almost hilariously good news. It's, let's just pause for one second. In the garden, Adam and Eve sinned. This is not gonna be a surprise to you if you've, if you've been raised in the church, but if, if, if not, I'm so glad you're here. You have a lot less to unlearn if you've never heard this before. Adam and Eve sinned. So they were the first people, they were in a relationship with God. God gave them the world and just said, don't eat from this one tree. That's it. Go have fun, make babies, enjoy yourselves, fill the earth, take this good thing that we have here in the garden and spread it until it covers the whole earth. Sounds like a pretty good deal, right? And then a little, the enemy comes, the serpent, the devil comes and basically whispers, is God really good? And all of a sudden, there's a crisis, crisis of faith. Will we actually trust God or will we not trust him? And if you know the story, Adam and Eve decide we're not gonna trust God. We're gonna trust in our own wisdom and our own understanding and then they're exiled from the garden. But as that's happening in Genesis 3.15, you get this, remarkable verse. And it's so easy to like just walk over it the first time and just not even realize what it's saying because it doesn't get fleshed out right away. God says, I'm going to send one who's going to step on that serpent's head, which if, you, if you've ever been around snakes, and I haven't, you step on their head, apparently that kills them. So I hear. <laughs> uh, I, yeah. Probably if you take a hand, a sh in our day, it'd probably be like a shove, whatever. You, you, you hit them on the head, and that's the end of them. 
And God is like, that's what's going to happen. Who did that? This is actually, interactive is good. It tells me that you're awake. Jesus. Jesus did that. Jesus did that. And, and the reason I mention this is because I think it's so important to remember that during the crisis of faith that Adam and Eve essentially faced, the serpent got them to believe that they could stand over God in judgment of him. That they could actually judge God. And so today, when we're facing crises of faith, the serpent stands whispering in our ear, like, is God good? Does he care? Does he love you? Do people care? Do people, all the questions, all the things. But then you read these words, and it says that God not only loves you, he welcomes you into like his inner, and into the, the holy of holy. He says, come in. Where we couldn't before because of sin, Jesus dealt with it, and now he's like, come in. You having a hard time? You weary? Come right in. Not just you individually, which I think one thing that we should keep in mind, regularly remind ourselves of reading scripture, I'm starting to do this more and more, where I'm like, I read this individualistically because I'm from an individualistic culture. And this is not an individualistic text. So when it says, when it says, let us draw near, it helps that it says us. It's like, y'all, y'all draw near. And you can because you've been sprinkled clean. You're clean from an evil conscience. Let's hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering. Verse 23, since he who promised is faithful. We were singing earlier, you are good, good, you know. He's faithful. He is good. But there are moments in this life when it doesn't feel that way. just doesn't. Because our circumstances paint a picture that's pretty bleak. And sometimes our circumstances get so loud that it drowns out the voice of God. So there's good news, though. We have these new hearts that God has given us. But he's given us more. Verse 24, let's consider one another in order to provoke love and good works. Not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. Here's my third point, my final point. God gives us new hearts that listen and love. God gives us new hearts that listen and love. I like that point. We have boldness to go to God ourselves and ask for his help. Not just for ourselves, but for other people too. I remember um, things really turned around during our house search. On one night, I don't remember exactly when it was. But I think I was, I was talking, maybe it was to Mike or to some of our fellow GC leaders about how things were going and how hard it was with this house search. And so I'm so glad I did because then the community took, set aside time just to pray for us just to throw us in the middle, lay hands, and pray. 
And not only was that super encouraging to have the community physically like enact, I love it because it's like when they, when they gathered around us and laid hands, it's like a, a living picture of what's actually true. It's like they're means of grace into our lives that God has given us. And they laid hands on us, they prayed fervently, and there was a lot of things that God started speaking so we, we believe that God still speaks. Obviously, he speaks most clearly through his scripture, but he also speaks to his people. Anything that violates scripture, I'll get into that. God spoke to us. And one of the things that came out was, it was Kathleen who said, this is gonna be, that she felt like God was saying, this is gonna be an 11th hour thing, which we were like, 11th hour? What do you mean, like two or three weeks out? Maybe a month out? That's okay, like we can hang with that. But our community that heard God and loved us made all the difference. And they embodied the heart of God in a way that softened ours. They drew near to God with assurance of his love and asked for us. They encouraged us. And then I think God really began to work on our hearts because this, this was a surprise. Um, we met a guy, I don't even remember how I met this guy. Um, I met a guy who was a fellow Christian here in the valley. He was actually part of a, of a Chinese Christian community. And he saw my, you know, lengthy portfolio that I created. Uh, and he saw that I was a pastor, which is not always a good thing. Um, it's often not. Oftentimes that probably should have just put nothing. Just put like, I just hang with people and talk. Um, <laughs> I'm a public speaker. <laughs> but in this case, it actually helped. So this was like around that time, and it was like just this little indication that God was like, I'm looking out for you. Because this guy offered us a place. Two of them, actually. He's like, I haven't shown these to anybody, but they're yours if you want them, essentially. I put so much info in the portfolio that you, I was pretty much pre-qualified. Um, I put everything minus the social security number. Everything else was in there. And he was like, you can have it. And then my dear wife, who, like me, was deeply affected by this instability and this insecurity that we were experiencing, like with our housing and stuff, she was like, nah, that's not the house. When at one point we would have pretty much taken anything. But the, the prayer of the community, the way that God started to soften our hearts, the way that we were reassured of his love and his power made it so that we were like, actually, we're not just going to take anything. And the reason we didn't take it is because our prayers were that God would give us a place that we can host out of. We're gospel community leaders, and we're going to lead an intro to gospel community. We, we knew that that was coming at some point, which is starting up soon. Um, however, this place that we were offered, both of them weren't right. And one of them was really beautiful and had like this awesome backyard for the kids and stuff. My dear wife was like, no, nah, babe, that's not it for us. So we walked out on these places. That's the kind of work that God can do. Going from like fear and anxiety and just like frenzy and he can soften hearts through his people, through his promises. And even I got to the point 
And at one point, it, it didn't look like the best move because I think we were about a week out and we still didn't have. We were starting to pack without a place to go. I think we had one week to go on our lease and we had nowhere to go. But there were already boxes out and things were being put away. But I remember even like turning to Heather and saying, God must know what he's doing. And so at that point, it was like our faith was strengthened and we were actually ready to trust in whatever. Um, it also helped, again, the community praying. I know the deals were praying for us. Their kids were praying for us every single night. And then one glorious Thursday morning, I mean, I'm on a Zoom meeting that's supposed to last six hours or something. I'm on, it's like a, a school that I was doing, a counseling school, just to learn about counseling. Um, and Heather sends me a message with like this place. And so we're about to do like the, the, probably the most important part of the months long counseling school was happening that morning. Where it was like, this is the stuff. This is where you like really experience the gospel. And I had to like turn off the Zoom and immediately jump on this place. It was a place, we were praying for a place in either um, Paseo del Sol or Paloma or Crown Hill, thank you. It was a place in Crown Hill, um, which we have friends in the area. That's where our gospel community was meeting and stuff. Our kids were meeting there. And I immediately just filled out the application. I sent it away. And long story short, within two days, within three, I think three days, we had the keys. God came through. And it was a place that I genuinely think they underpriced it. And I knew the market really well because I was like on it. I was like checking every day. I knew what places were going for. They underpriced it by, I think, hundreds of dollars. And it was a place that went, the, the owners went through so much. It wouldn't have even been ready if they hadn't been through like a leak in the roof and all these other problems that they had to take care of. But it was like God held that place for us. And the second that it, we needed it, in the 11th hour, boom, there it was. And it was like, People in our gospel community like drove to our house right away. It was like a celebration. It was like a party. I think everybody's faith was actually strengthened through what we went through because God knew what he was doing and he took care of us. So what am I saying? It's with new hearts that we get to love and encourage each other through the hard times. We get to move deeper into the heart of God together through hard times. They don't have to harden us. It's not inevitable we're predetermined that hard times will harden us. It doesn't have to be that way. But it does require some specific action steps as a community, as people, to press into the heart of God during hard times. Where do you need to be encouraged today? I'm going to call the band up. We're just about done. And I want to call up the ministry team as well. If you're on the ministry team, if you could... We're going to have people available for prayer. And here's how I want to just land this message. I want to kind of do quickly what the writer of the Hebrews does in the letter. He goes out of his way to continuously remind people of Jesus. So if you're able to, would you please stand? I want to just read just a few verses. 
to remind you of who Jesus is because this is what the writer of the Hebrews does. And these won't be on the screen. So I want to encourage you, like, if you're down, just close your eyes. If you won't fall asleep, just close your eyes and just listen to these amazing promises of God. These are promises that strengthen us during hard times. Because he, Jesus, remains forever, he holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he's able to save completely those who come to God through him, since he always lives to intercede for them. Jesus always lives to pray for you and for me and for us. He's not done. He's still working. This work of redemption for us is still happening. It, yeah. Today, he lives to intercede for you and for me. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with hands, but into heaven itself, so that he might now appear in the presence of God for us. Jesus is praying for us, and he is in the presence of God for us, talking to God about your specific situation, my specific situation, ours. Working. Why is that possible? Because by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are sanctified. Perfected forever. And last one I'm going to read. This is so, such good news, I think, for people who are suffering and for people who are walking with those who are suffering. Hebrews 4.14. We have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let's approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. I don't know if more beautiful words have ever been penned to sufferers than those words right there. This is the Jesus we worship. Let's approach him. Let's approach the throne of grace for one another in our time of need and find his grace to help us. Some of you this morning just need to sing. You can, you can open your eyes now. You guys um, may need to just sing until your affections are stirred, until this becomes really good news to you, until you can say, Jesus really is awesome. Some of you might need to receive prayer because you need to encounter his grace today because you're hurting. Some of you may even have people that you might need to call this week that maybe God is like putting on your mind. Maybe it's just like a, have you been? Or even, where have you been? Like lovingly, not in a condemning way, but just part of what this book of Hebrews has taught me is that we have a responsibility for each other. Encourage each other daily. I didn't even get into that. It's not a series, it's one message. It says to encourage each other daily, to spur each other on to good, love, to good works and to love. Listen to God and share. so much more I can say, but I'm just going to stop and just read these words. May the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep, the one who goes after the night, the one who goes after the one that's wandering through the blood of the everlasting covenant, equip you with everything good to do his will, working in us what is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. God has given us everything we need to make it through hard times. So let's be a people who grab hold of all of his promises in the midst of them.